0: Hello, Revelers. Just a quick note of introduction or trigger warning. There is talk about suicide on this episode, but also tell you that chronologically, you'll get the most out of this episode if you listen to the Phil Factor episode, which is titled, Where You Invest Your Love, You Invest Your Life. That's a Mumford & Sons quote, and this title comes from Madonna. So enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Revel Revel. This is Lauren Drabble, and today my guest is Gene Gebhardt, but you may know him as Gino Gebhardt, and we will talk about that. Hi, Gene. Hi, how's it going? It's going. All right. I'm excited that you asked me to talk. I almost said happy new year, and then I realized this year's not over yet. <laughs> yeah. And oh. it's coming. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yes. We're gonna get out
1: of this leap year.
0: Oh, that's right. It was a leap year, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah. It's a
1: leap year. I could totally hear my I totally hear my Italian mom. I hate leap years. Everybody dies in a leap year. Oh my god god i used to think she
0: was full shit because she was italian but she was really really right <laughs> we lost a lot that of that is true yeah. i never thought about that so okay let's talk about your background and i didn't even know you were italian because gebhart sure doesn't sound italian so let's let's start with your whole name
1: my whole name my it gets complicated no my mother was italian My father was American. My father, my mother was from Northern Italy and my father was from Ohio. And my name, I'm named after my father, which is really interesting because my father's name is Pearl Eugene Gebhardt. Okay. Pearl.
0: Wow. That
1: my dad fought World War II. He was in, you know, he was 50 when I was born. So I had really older parents. (gasps) Wow. So he wasn't going to name his son Pearl, so he went by Jean. So he called me Jean, and then, but my mom wanted me to have an Italian name, so she kind of called me Gino. Oh. So, th- so, so, for them, because my sister had a beautiful, uh, had a, an Italian name, Sistiana. She liked it to go with that, but I was Jean, and I always hated Jean because it always reminded me of sexually frustrated librarian with a bad perm. So, uh, so I never liked Gene. So when I worked in a salon in the 90s, the owner said, you know what? People don't know if you're a boy or a girl, you're going to go by Gino. And then I learned later in life that Gene is a real spiritual, crystal healing, psychic name. It's like a very, in the spiritual guru
0: world, it's really an awesome name to have. Okay, so we know each other from Mount Carmel. We sure do. But truth be told, we didn't really know each other well in high school. We we didn't really know each other. I thought we worked together on the floats and stuff together. We did, but I feel like I never talked to you the rest of the year, maybe besides like high and by in the hallways. Yeah.
1: I don't. I just know you I think I've gotten to know you over the years more, like at the reunions, like I've done with many people. Yeah. You know, I had a very different high school life, but that's one of the things that I have loved about your podcast is that a lot of people have had str- had struggles growing in high school and we didn't know yes. them. I didn't know a lot of those people, but I had my own real struggle. It's just amazing to me to hear some of them. And um, I just wish I want to go back and help that person. You know, I want to go to time capsule and be like, I'm going through a lot, too. I could help you, you know, and.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think we all feel that way. So let's pick apart a a little bit of what I thought I knew or misconceptions or whatever. So you, let's start at the beginning though. When did you move to San Diego? Were you born there? Okay. how that, why were you at Mount Carmel? Okay.
1: So we have one thing in common. You and I, we started there our sophomore
0: year Woo woo, sophomores. (laughs) I always say that that everyone's freshman year must have sucked because all the cool people came in. (laughs) I I was part
1: I was part of the sophomore invasion. I was born in my mom got pregnant with me and La Jolla, California looked just like Trieste Italy. And so my dad said, Where do you want to have your son? And so she moved to San Diego and they couldn't afford La Jolla, so they moved to Claremont. And then my father wanted us to go to a better school district. So in 1974, we moved to Poway. Wow, and okay. so I had to go to Poway High my, my freshman year because there was no transfers. That was the rule. But my sophomore year, I could transfer. And my mom knew the principal, so she got me a transfer.
0: I am I meant to ask you, back on your story, your mom must have been a lot younger than your dad. You said he was 50 yeah. My dad, when
1: I was, yeah, my mom was 13 years younger than my dad. My dad met my mom during the war, right at the end of, just during the Korean War. He put in orders to go to Trieste, Italy, instead of going to fight a war, because he had already fought and won. And so we have an army base there to protect it from Yugoslo- Yugoslavia. was communism at the time. And so that's why my dad met my mom in Italy and married her Yeah, and brought her to America. My mom was very pro-
0: was it one of those locals mix, uh, mixing with the service guys kind of thing, like a dance or something? Exactly. My mom met
1: my dad at a dance and she'd go there so she could steal food to bring home to feed her family, actually.
0: Wow.
1: So they were really poor. I mean, the Germans stormed through that part of Italy and really they were poor. So my mom, there's amazing stories about my mom um, wow. being there what she went through, I can't even imagine what she went through being hungry. And.
0: You know, one of the fascinating things with talking to people is when they start talking about their parents' stories. I, so many times I say, now I want to interview your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll put them aside though. And I I feel a little bit more caught up, but it's still odd to, I can't envision having a child at 50 years old. Wow. Oh my gosh.
1: No, I got social security in high school. Yes. He was retired (laughs) from the VA hospital. So all my friends had to work at McDonald's and I didn't, I had social security. So, and it was really not a good idea to give a kid that much money every month in high school. <laughs> I strongly I strongly advise anyone raising kids, if that happens to them, you should put it away. I'm not tell them they get it, but you know. And what do what you remember
0: is. spending your money on? <laughs> a bunch of drugs
1: and alcohol and, um, <laughs> hmm. and, and you know, just clothes and stuff. Things. I knew you were going to say clothes. Yeah. A lot of my clothes were, you know, from school were all made by my mom. I bought them at thrift stores and then we. she was a seamstress in Italy. So she redid them all. They were all retaken apart and put back together. So that's why I had cool, cool clothes in high school. Yeah.
0: Well, no, I didn't know they were made by her, but that's what I was going to say about one of my associations. <laughs> in my head, I feel like the day I even saw you walking around the school I was like well that guy's gay right I mean no judgment or anything but it was just so very obvious where other people you know aren't out in high school especially not back then more people are out you know nowadays in high school but you know you had you had such guts you had I, such I, guts to be so out and flamboyant
1: I know I know you know Lauren it and it was, it was just one of those things where the boys made such fun of me that it was like, all right, you're going to make fun of me and tease me. I'm going to give you something to talk about. I'm going to give you something to tease me about. It was a very, very youthful attitude, you know, in a very colorful time in life, you know, but but um, that also goes with one of the reasons why when you asked me if I would talk on your podcast, I, Mr. Factor. Mm-hmm talking about me and how I influenced him about me being gay and how I changed his life was the most honorable thing that's ever happened to me. And we think about, we teach teachers. We don't think about us teaching the teacher and we, and we do, you know, and it was just so, I was so moved by what he said. And, um, I had to play that for my niece who started a school club. She's at Poway High. She's 16 and she started a horoscope club. And I was telling her, look, you don't know who you're going to move when you're younger. You're, you're, you're moving, you're touching people's lives every day. And, and look at this, this incredible teacher who had millions of students, 40 year career. And he's on a podcast talking about your uncle and how I changed his life, you know, and, And it's just interesting how that works. You know, we don't know
0: who we're going to affect. So
1: it's incredible. That's
0: that's totally true. And that's part of why we need to put ourselves out there. And there's no greater way to put yourselves out there really than to wear who you are in such an outwardly flamboyant way. Like you did. Like, I think you even had like a Peter Pan outfit, like wearing Uh tights and stuff, right? No, I have my Peter Pan outfits. I had uh, striped socks. Yeah, I had
1: some very unique clothing. You know, I have to say, I, I kept a couple. It's funny, I put them in my niece, and my niece was like, you were that skinny.
0: I, <laughs> <laughs> I love their takeaways. Not the, not the, not the I, guts
1: that it took, but <laughs> you were so skinny. Yeah, uh, I lo- and dye my hair every day, and thats that's how I ended up. Well, I really became a hairdresser because... It was either jail or beauty school for me in that, you know, in 1987, you know, so that's how I got into hair and became a hairstylist. So,
0: all right, we're going to, we're going to pin that jail comment and come back to that, but let's (laughs) So, what did your parents think when they would see you not just dress that way, but say, Hey mom, you know, make this into something for me. I guess they were very supportive. Well, my mom well they were retired so
1: i mean she had they had more time than money but we were middle class so I, I can't say that we were struggling but we weren't rich so it was you know at the time people were all wearing you know those expensive uh, guest jeans right and i was coming home with a ten dollar suit i bought at the thrift store so she'd turn them into knickers and shorten the sleeves and crop it and so for a few hours of work, she could make me an outfit to go to school. So she was really supportive. My mom's always been supportive. My father was, you know, really didn't want this flamboyant son. But, you know, he really, he loved me. And I think he just, I never got any slack for my dad for being the way I was that way. He had problems with me in other ways, but I don't really remember it. If it's you're asking me if they, if it had anything to do, to do with my sexuality, you know,
0: I mean that's just incredible. It's incredible for the times, but it's also incredible for an older dad, you know? Yeah.
1: I yeah, I, I don't think my dad would go join P flag and and hide a flag and go marching in a parade about it. But I don't he I never heard my dad say anything about that towards me, but I had a very very dysfunctional home life, you know that just wasn't, that ma- That wasn't a problem with it. You know, the struggles that I had in, in
0: growing up weren't over how flamboyant Gino was, you know. Okay. So let's talk about the road that you took, you know, so you're saying that by the time we graduated, you were really not looking at great options, jail or hairdressing? <laughs> <laughs> I say that to be funny. I, I really wanted to go into beauty school, though, ever since I was a kid and I had
1: that doll head in the 70s. My sister had one. I you know, was, yeah, we all, I, I stole hers and ruined it. No, I just say it because it's funny, you know, jail or beauty school. And if you knew the beauty school I went to, it was kind of like jail. It was <laughs> <laughs> it was a very interesting uh, beauty school I went to in Mir
0: Mesa. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed doing hair. I'm still doing it in my speakeasy. Right, but, right. Uh, and, yeah. And that's so, at your, your speakeasy, meaning like your house, because of COVID, house.
1: right? Yeah, because of COVID. It's, it's fascinating to me the way fashion and history repeats itself. And we're in the roaring 20s. But instead of having drinks secretly, we're secretly doing hair, you know, <laughs> like as if the communist country won't let you do hair in your garage, you know, and you're, and, yeah. uh, and I, and, you know, I understand all the safety calls, protocols and stuff. I'm not. I'm not, you know, going, I'm just, I got bills to pay, you know? Right,
0: <laughs> well, right, right. So, so well, let's talk about your life's path, the trajectory. You know, I love how Remy put it about to connect the dots of how your life has gone. I, I've used the analogy of the thread weaving through, you know? So, so what happens so right after high school? Yeah, I went to beauty school locally and it was a miracle that I passed my skateboard. board. <laughs> You know,
1: being dyslexic, I had to study a lot harder than other people did to pass that board. But I managed to pass that state board of cosmetology test because you had to le- learn all about the head and the brain. It wasn't all about just hair. We had to learn about skin, nail and hair. And um, and then I went on to become an assistant in the mall and uh, did some fashion shows and hair shows. And had, I've had a really interesting career with being a hairdresser. I mean, I've done all kinds of things. I mean, I, so, I mean, even in San Diego, I worked at the Golden Door Spa and Resort up there, the first spa of its kind doing celebrities right out of school. I was doing them. I think, you know, you get old and you realize they just hired me because I was young and cute, not because I was good. Because those, you know, women just wanted somebody fun to do their hair. And um, <laughs> I look back and realize I wasn't really strong, talented enough to do that. But I managed to work there for a few years. Yeah, off and on. I've always done hair. I mean, I've done it for like 40 years in just different levels. Owning my own business, not owning my own business, renting a chair, being an employee. I really enjoyed the last 10 years, I really enjoyed decorating the salon that I worked in for the holidays. I did these elaborate decorating things for the salon in Rancho Penasquitas, BB Hair Art. Because even when I lived in LA, I would come down and uh do my clients because I lived in L I moved away to LA for seven years and um I was do- working in this salon close to Beverly Hills and I'm just a San Diego kid. I mean I just really am. I mean I just can't relate to these people that are not connected to Earth and I just they're not I, mean, I don't know they're not even on this planet and just I, I like people to be happy. I like to do hair and create things that are beautiful and make people feel pretty about themselves and good about themselves, not be ordered around like you're a servant, you know, and taking out the creativity part and just injecting there, all that plastic world of Hollywood, you know, I, I just never fit in. I was just a square peg sitting there looking like I fit in, but I just never did. I mean, I'm so much more happier now. Uh, my most interesting kind of serendipity story in life is like, so I left and went to go apply Instead of my midlife crisis, instead of applying and buying a new sports car like a normal guy Mm -hmm. or or getting a mistress, I uh, went to go work for Disney. I went to go work for Disneyland and they trained me to do the princess's hair and all the wigs. And I and it was really humbling and I wasn't good enough. I couldn't do Ariel's bangs right, that bitch. And then they (laughs) fired me. They fired you fired me and they marched me out of that theme park. Like I was a criminal with, you know, the first time I really was close to being in handcuffs with security guards cleaning out my locker, marched out because I couldn't do her bangs. Right. You know, like, it's so humiliating. And in in hindsight, you know, then my brother-in-law came up and got me and brought me back down to San Diego. And then all that training I took, I applied to doing these amazing wigs for Mary Poppins for my niece's school Play production for Marinoff Christian oh. School. And it, instead of sitting there feeling, I was like sitting there feeling sorry for myself, but I was fired on unemployment. I was doing these amazing wigs that they trained me to do. I may not be good enough for Disney, but I was amazing for Mrs. Howard's productions. And then the next season, they did The Little Mermaid, and there I was doing Ariel's Bangs. And I mean, they were perfect. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, and then, and then with that, it's like, if they wouldn't have fired me, I'd be out of a job in Anaheim and with nowhere to get a job. And that whole area is all shut down really bad. And I mean, God had my back when he let me go from there. You know, it's like right now with the pandemic, I'm, I'm kind of OK because I've got my clients taking care of me. I do work at the San Diego Zoo. I, what do you do? For I that? work in the gift shop there and I work with this, all these amazing young people that are really into studying about animals. I'm really into the plants. So I talk to the botanists and the, and the people that are doing uh, stem cell research with plants. I talk to them. They're doing all kinds of all these amazing things. And they've saved plants that are becoming extinct. I just love planning and gardening and the, that element. I really can't tell you much about what's going on with the animals. so. But I can tell you, I love uh, work. Great managers, great people. Just, it's just a total different, wonderful drink of lemonade there. I just do real well with having a schedule and being told when to go because then I don't get into trouble. And so hairdressers have too much time on their hand, you know, and that's always led me into getting into trouble. So that's why I always have a second little job on hand. I've I've always had one, something other than hair to keep me kind of busy.
0: So your your troubles, I guess, were drugs and alcohol. Yeah, throughout my life, you know.
1: It's like when you ask me,
0: when, when, you, when
1: you ask me, you know, you, when you'd be on this podcast, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I, I, oh my God, Lauren, all those people on your podcast have a college education and no one wants to hear me. And I'm a piece of shit. And, da, da, da. and it's that voice inside of me that tells me that you're no good. And that's the part that makes me an alcoholic. And that's what makes me a recovering addict. And if anyone else is struggling with that voice, it's It's telling you you're no good, it's lies, and don't listen to it because it's not true. I do have a lot to share. I have a lot to share, and just the fact that you, you this podcast is has really been inspiring and and you've inspired you have inspired a lot of us to get kind of back together and 700 members of our cult of 87. And, and after I'm done with you, two of them that I have really Pam, you know, that's why I call myself the bad fad. Cause I, I have the biggest crush on Pam Martin. I'm i going to marry her. You know, I've had talk with her husband when she becomes a widow, I'm taking care of her. And um, I, just, <laughs> I believe that she's a prophet from God. And, um, uh, Anyway, when <laughs> we're going to go walking and I've been walking listening to your podcast and and I've been working out, so it's, it's a great way that you're getting people together and so I think what you're doing is a wonderful thing you're following what you're what you had a little voice inside of you that told you to do it you know where I yeah. where I work on that voice that tells me I can't you got that voice that tells you that you can so that's that's just amazing so yes I've struggled with drugs and alcohol and that's been kind of a theme that's gone through your podcast a few times mm-hmm. and aa started in 1935 though lauren miss just a, i learned the hard way i, I know i heard your <laughs> podcast I'm like oh, it's 1935 but um I'm, I'm doing that you know via zoom and working with a sponsor and i've had my little ups and downs i mean i could tell you some some of the dark times after the death of my mom, I really fell into a very dark time. But I've been working on getting out, work, you know, working on that, dealing with grief. Grief is something that uh, is a life. You, you, know, you just learn to live with it. You know, I was really, really close with my mom. but
0: Well, and grief never ends. It just changes over time. Yeah. yeah. So how long, when did she die? And when did you start AA? I've been going to AA since. The
1: nineties. Since I was twenty-five, I tend to do like five years, four years. I'm unfortunately one of those people. That's my story. But I've learned from each one of my relapses that I just really believe that the devil puts the shit in front of you to make you go do it. And I I spent so many years thinking, "What do you mean you just relapsed? You you found the dealer and you called them up and you went and got it. And you're full of shit. You did it." Well, that's not how my relapses have been. I was sitting at the Disneyland Hotel, one of my relapses, waiting for friends to come back from the park. And I'm like, well, I'll make some coffee. And I went in the coffee maker and there in the coffee maker was a a pipe of some meth. And, you know, I relapsed right there. I didn't plan on it. That wasn't part of my. I was doing everything to do right. And sometimes it just binds you. And when I'm walking, I walk a lot. I'll, I'll run into drugs. Now I can just keep walking. But, you know, there's times when you just, it's hard to, to pick out. You pick it up and you think, I'll throw it away in the trash can. And then you got to figure out what it is. And, and so, wait, wait okay, go wait. ahead.
0: I, I have to understand. Wait, what was meth doing in the coffee pot? I don't it, get oh, it. oh, it was in a pipe <laughs> and somebody hid it in there. So somebody wouldn't find it. I guess. I don't Uh know. It wasn't
1: my group or anything. I just went to make coffee and opened it up to put the coffee in it. And so it just happened to be in there. That was where the the guest prior
0: hit it. So somebody wouldn't find it. So I guess the cleaning lady wouldn't find it, but I. Like no one would find it. That's crazy. I mean, it's very like. Alice in Wonderland like eat me drink me it's just there in your face exactly so oh, wow. so uh, today I I really have that profound
1: respect for people it's really a challenge shit can find you it just finds you and it, I feel I really believe it's the devil is involved in it because when you're doing good and you're doing everything you can there's things sending you to come back you know
0: but instead of doing you know
1: I'm doing okay this year so far.
0: <laughs> well, if you can do good in 2020, you can do good any year, right?
1: Well, I, yeah, I started 2020 off pretty rough
0: there, though. I had a blackout
1: and a failed suicide attempt. <gasps> so, oh yeah.
0: It, okay. I, can you, Can you talk about that without, like, going down a rabbit hole in your own life?
1: I just was just thinking that I can drink normally and was doing it for a year kind of secretly and then got in a family a lot of family stuff started to come and surface and I I just got mad and just went and took a bunch of pills and the old tech somebody that went to our school and they called my sister and my sister came and checked on me and then I went to I went to the emergency room and I went to a psych department up in Escondido for two weeks. And then I was sent to a crisis center for two weeks. So I really learned, I never ever want to be woken up every, every half an hour all night long for four months, as long as I live.
0: Wow.
1: So, cause it's a psych ward. And it was one of those things where it was like, a permanent solution to a temporary problem and yeah. everything is temporary. But I had so many people show up, come to visit me at the crisis house because there's people there for all different stuff. It's everything from, it's just a call. It's like a transitional crisis house and people could be there for everything, but I had so many people come and check on me from the program, people from high school, clients, neighbors, friends, just to let me know. And then, you know, and then people there were like, God, you've had so many people come visit you. You know how loved you are. And I'm like, you know what? I really am. And you're right. And I'm never going to come back here or be in this situation ever again. Knock on wood, you know, one day at a time. I I don't ever want to do that. I think it's interesting that I only attempted that at the age of 50, 52 compared to all the stuff I went through in high school I, you know, gave me reasons
0: to do it, but I don't know. It happened. So in the goal of helping anyone who's listening, how did you feel after you were there? Like, did you feel, hey, I had some legitimate reasons to do this that I have to work through? Or were you like ashamed that you tried? I was grateful it didn't work out. (laughs) You know, some people I think that commit
1: suicide can be a real personal thing. I I wasn't ashamed as much as I was glad that I was able to get the help that I was getting.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And that I'm glad it didn't work out and I was making some goals on things to do mm-hmm. to uh not be there again. I'm glad it didn't happen, but you romance it. For me it was you, you I romanced it so many times in the past thinking it's gonna take the pain away that's inside, you know, right. that pain, that same voice tells you that you're, that you're not good enough. And then finally, just one time after listening to that voice, I just finally did it. And, you know, there's just so much help out there for people that you don't have to go down there, but it's really hard for people when they're going to try to start romancing it and start planning it. Mine wasn't plotted or planned. Mine was done in a blackout. So my situation may have been a little bit different, but there's so much help out there for people, you know, and, you know, especially you got a great sponsor that help helping that's a resource that's out there. Yeah. Um, Suicide prevention can be a little bit of a challenge for people because you can call that number and end up having 70 people at your doorstep. Yeah. So I think it stops a lot of people from making that phone call. So I think, if people are seeking help, I think words like romancing the idea is a good term to use. It's have to be really careful because you could have a bunch of people and cops and everyone's at your door. Right.
0: And you're not getting the help you need. So there's, yeah, it's kind of a challenge there. Yeah. I think it should be like one to two caring people who know how to handle a situation emotionally, but okay. So you, you said it was in a blackout. So you really weren't conscious of what you were doing. I was
1: conscious a little bit, but just, just didn't care. Just thought like I was just done. Hmm. I don't know what, I don't know what got to that point where it just is sick and tired of being sick and tired. I I have to say it was just before COVID. I ended up being in the hospital just when COVID broke out. So I got, I'm like, I'm definitely didn't do it. During the, I totally understand why people are, are struggling with that right now during the pandemic, mm-hmm. but it's not, there's people just love you, and and all those people that came to visit me when I was in the hospital just makes me realize that you're just there, there's so many people in your phone to just reach out and call and say hello, and just talk even to even getting on facebook or instagram and just really communicate with people and take the technology that we have and reach out because i think you just feel lonely and helpless
0: yeah
1: and you just want that pain to go away and sometimes you can't you just want it to go you want it to stop you know yeah. and a lot of time you know for me it's not there as much because i focused back on getting clean and sober mm-hmm working with a sponsor and doing what I can, but staying creative and staying into creative things and staying busy and walking and reaching out to people to go walking with. Mm -hmm. I mean, asking for help. I mean, not a lot of times it's people just spending time with you, you know, so for, for the addict, the alcoholic, the greatest thing I could say to somebody that's suffering is the word halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired mm. if ever there 's a craving or anything, you can check off one of those boxes and you can help yourself. so if a craving for alcohol or something that you 're struggling with that you 're wanting to quit, if you 're hungry, go get, eat something a lot of times craving someone you 're lonely, angry, getting a fight with somebody is a huge trigger for people but sometimes it can manifest into a resentment they can linger with you for a very long time and then you can use use over that anger resentment months after the argument or fight yeah not just right away it can manifest so that's why you're supposed to do in AA, do step work on that resentment and work on it so but halt So the lonely part, that's why I've been reaching out and calling people. That's like, I'm going to go walking with Pam and Jen in in like half an hour and just go talk to friends and just so I'm not in my head and they don't have to be a bunch. of. I I like to personally go talk to people that aren't in my program in AA. I'd rather hear about people that are happily married, doing stuff and talking about with the dog and being positive. And I don't want to talk about you know the the addiction and AA and who relapse and all that negative stuff that can come so yeah it's finding people that are healthy to go have friends with so i'm really lucky that i have some you know
0: yeah did i answer your question (laughs) i don't even remember anymore that's okay (laughs) so so let's focus on your recovery this year since that because that like you said i can't believe that after everything you've been through if you were going to try a suicide attempt, it happened at this point. So what's happened since, and how has it changed your life? Well, when I got out of the, the facility,
1: my sister, my sister moved us back into the family household. So that was pa- like, I was going back to all the trauma of childhood, going back to the house, mm. kind of a long story. So, and she was getting separated and there was a lot of stuff going on going back to Poway wasn't, you know, I I didn't handle it very well. Living in the house where your mom passed away and just, but I went to go live with the friend, my friend that owns the salon, this beautiful, amazing woman picked me up and I stayed with her and her lovely family through the pandemic in March and her and her two daughters and her wonderful husband and her and Rancho Bernardo. And I just got to be with a really warm family and we, I ate together, and her kids kept I played with their kids a lot and watched them, and we went walking a lot. and she just they were going through some hard times with their salon being closed and the restaurant being closed, so there was a lot of stress there, and then she was really grateful that I was actually there for her. She is a, a Normie, you know, but she had an extra friend there too, to help her during the pandemic with the kids and stuff. And and so she was really grateful. So we actually helped one another. And in the process, my sister was remodeling my garage and she turned it into my salon and my own studio apartment. So I have like my own space now. But being with the family healed me back together, having that family dynamic and a positive. They were really great, great. You know, we cooked and that, that's what I needed. You know, that's what I really, really needed. And so I'll always be grateful and that's how you can help people get back on their feet. So I got to stay in this very fancy home though. You know, I'm not used to that, you know, with, with three maids and she'd make me take her Mercedes to go to the grocery store. And I'm like, this thing makes way too many noises for me. And I'm like, I'm just not, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Honda Civic guy and that's just it. So, all that really wonderful, beautiful stuff in life that people thrive for, it just doesn't do anything for me.
0: It just looks like more carpet to clean. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all have our stress <laughs> triggers and having a $50,000 plus vehicle that you're responsible <laughs> for can definitely not be what you need. I, I just And me
1: and my anxiety, and I'm so scared I'm going to hurt it. And I'm like, no, I'll take my own car. No, take mine because I need you to drop this off. And I'm like, oh. I was with the family that took care of me until I had a place to come live. When I was with her, I was doing an AA Zoom meeting every day up at Fort Rose Grant, up where my mom's buried, because everything was closed. I was getting kicked out of churches, parked in a car, listening to Zoom. I was getting picked out of parking lots because her school, her kids were in school. So I had to go do something, mm-hmm. right? And then everything was closed. So I went to Fort Rose Grant and... Started rearranging everyone's flower arrangements that they left for their loved ones because they didn't bring scissors. So I would make it look really pretty.
0: Aww.
1: And then, because oh, well, you know, they go to the cemetery and I have pruning shears in my car. So when my arrangement for my mother's done, it's beautiful, you know. And uh, so I had to fix other people's and water them. And that's what I ended up doing and having Zoom meetings and just to kill time because they didn't kick you out of the cemetery. Right. Right. I mean, it was really locked down here in March and April. This
0: is March and April. March and April were very scary times for sure.
1: Yeah. Now I'm going to AA meetings that are outside and everyone was wearing a mask and they're six feet apart and we're freezing our asses off because it's at seven o'clock at night. But, um, it, it it works, you know, yeah. we're making it work.
0: Well, good. You know, well, I'm so. so glad you got the help that you needed too. Cause gosh, that's so scary that you have all these people who are trying to help and don't know how to help and maybe feel like they aren't helping, but you did get the help you needed. So that's amazing. Yeah. How do I you did. know that woman that brought you into her house? Kristen owns the
1: salon I worked at. Oh, okay. I worked there for 10 years. Even when I lived in LA, I would take the train down and I would do hair here once a month. After my mom died, I went into this thing and I and moved away to LA. And I still came back down to do some clients to pay bills. But one of that moment, and in, in, I think it goes a lot with your, your podcast is, after my mom passed away, my dad died and then my mom died six weeks apart. And then I was alone and I was, this gonna be 14 years. I was all alone in the house that she died in. And I can't explain it, but whenever someone dies, I believe that the, the dark force, may the force be with you, that the dark force or the devil or whatever you want, sends people to come check on you with all intentions of being, you know, good for you. And they weren't. I got back into drugs. I relapsed again then and got back into drugs. And then I was in this house up in Oceanside, this beautiful, well-manicured home. And I was there, and we had just done some in the back bedroom, and we had just basically shot up a bunch of mess. And, And then all of a sudden, someone said, the cops are here. And I had my purse, and I pushed it under the bed. And all of a sudden, there was a house raid. And I was sitting in this living room and all of a sudden there was dogs and people being pulled out and they were throwing purses out. And it was a really nice place. I didn't even know these people were in this house. And I was sitting there and I could hear my mother talking as if I was sitting in Rome in the catacomb and and it was in the dome. So all this chaos was going on and I could hear my mom. She's sitting there saying, your father went to work every day so that you could have an education and this is how you, re- you disrespect him. I put a smiley face on your lunch tag and put it in your lunch and sent you to school and this is what you do to me after we die. If you don't like the house we gave you, sell it. If you don't like your job, then quit. But don't disrespect your father what, and I. And it was like she was talking to me. I can't explain this to anyone unless you've ever experienced it, but from the grave and all this chaos was going on. And she was saying that, and I'm going to give you this one chance. And then the cops just let me go because I didn't have a criminal record and they didn't find anything. And so I left and I had my wallet with me in my pocket and I went with my crazy friend And I went and rented a car in Oceanside and started driving back to Poway. I'm like, I'm going back to AA. She goes, I don't understand those cigarette smoking coffee people. And I'm like, I'm buying a pound of coffee and this pack of cigarettes. And I'm I'm going back to AA. My life was better. And in that moment, I turned my life around. I came to my sister and I told her, I don't want to live in this house anymore. So we rented it out. Mm-hmm. i came to live with her i went marched into macy's and got a job in the decorating department i told dragged the lady off her ladder that worked there and told her i my christmas is going to be bad i'm going to decorate and make christmas pretty for somebody else no and the guy that worked was working with her didn't want to hire me but nobody else hired me apparently it was me and the girl with one <laughs> arm that applied so she gave me this job <laughs> And she gave me this job, and I ended up falling in love with the guy that I worked with, and then we ended up moving up to Los Angeles together, and had a happy life for seven years, you know. And then he just fell in love with somebody else and left. And that's when I ended up after a couple of years of being up there alone, I went and to go work for Disney. But when you in that process of getting better, I started going to night school. I was working. I left the salon I was at for ten years and went to go work with Kristen and BB Hair Art, and she let me work there two days a week. So I worked at Macy's in the morning from 5 a.m. until 12. And then I went to night school to learn um, interior design with my sister at Mesa College and then did hair on the weekends. And I just did that because that's the best thing to do for grief is to just stay busy for me instead of dwelling because I was so close to my mom. I mean, I couldn't do anything else. But I then once again, I got, got myself together and got back on track. And, and I did really well for like six, seven years until I got fired from a job, another job for not being fast enough because I was too old. And um, I had a resentment. So I had to work on my resentment, but, but that resentment, I learned not to relapse on a resentment. So that was a lot to share, wasn't it?
0: (laughs) Well, it wasn't. It seems that besides being the type of person who needs to stay busy, that you seem like you're like this lifelong learner, evolving, changing, learning this new thing, going to school, whatever. And so let's talk about learning because you mentioned earlier about being dyslexic. So Uh when were you diagnosed as dyslexic?
1: Okay. So I was diagnosed, in elementary school. So at elementary school, I was taken out and put into special class. By the time I got to Mount Carmel, all of my classes were special ed. So that's why a lot of pe- I didn't have a lot of classes with anybody. I only had seven kids, all four of my classes for all three years. Oh, wow. So, so nobody really realizes that. But I liked it because when you're being brutally teased and people throwing apples and stuff at you, like I was... I can get seven kids to like me, so. But I was able to graduate from Mount Carmel and go to beauty school, and I learned how to deal with my dyslexia and have, you know, somewhat of a productive life, you know, you know, minus the ups and downs. I think that was another wonderful thing that God did for me was to put me in in Mount Carmel and and powell unified school district because i also had adhd i was just hyper spaz if you probably remember a little
0: bit yeah yeah that came came
1: through (laughs) yeah so i was a hyper spaz but i never took any medicine for that you know yeah the problem with meth for me was it calmed me down Ah. because of my hyperactivity it didn't have the same effect i mean i used to do it every day during my sophomore year of school, my friends would line me up and then drop me off at school because I wouldn't hmm. do school because I had an Italian mom at home that would beat me to death and they would all go to the beach and I would go yeah. to school all day. It it has a reverse effect on me. So yeah, it's just different. If you are hyper, it can actually make you calmer, believe it or not. But that doesn't mean it doesn't make you crazy. Right, right. And so thank God I've been clean from that for a, a long time.
0: So at Mount Carmel, you had special ed classes with special ed teachers. So how did you get to know Mr. Factor? And at what point did you guys start talking about dyslexia?
1: Um, I didn't talk to Mr. Factor about dyslexia until uh, as a grown man, just talking to him oh. later. He knew because he knew what every kid was up to. I never had him as a student, but he was the advisor for our class of 87. And so that's how I started to know mr factor but he i never talked to him about any of my learning disabilities i think he just knew but he shared beautifully about his dyslexia and overcoming it Mm -hmm. in your podcast you know yeah he did i mean that was just i loved it and because i love to hear about people's stories i love i love to read autobiographies i'm not Uh much for reading because i get bored but when it's about people's lives and changing And, you know, you're, you're changing people's lives by doing this podcast right now, like I shared, you know, I mean, you're getting people together that haven't talked in a long time. And that's, that's a great thing, you know, because right now when we're just kind of in this, I feel like we're in this lonely period right now and everyone needs to get together and have as many friends as possible. And we get busy and we get lost and we lose track and we just, you're only friends with people on Facebook. So you just, you feel isolated. You know, technology's kind of made me feel more isolated. So I'm making those opportunities to go out and and say hi, you know, go make plans. Go see people in real life. Go talk, pick up the phone and call, not text. I always have a great way of knowing when someone's down and I'll send them a positive text to cheer them up. Or use that sixth sense I have. You know, that one that kept me from not getting in trouble, using it to cheer people up because we need it right now. You know?
0: we sure do do you do you think you've always had a sixth sense oh yeah absolutely yeah i have a very strong psychic thing i never listen to myself
1: and i wish i would i've helped other people many times but then people think you're crazy like i you know tell people don't go on that trip and then you know something happens and like i wish i should have listened to you and so you learn to just not say anything you learn to just kind of pray for them and wish for the best and make sure their insurance cards are paid up, you know, uh, premium premiums are paid <laughs> up. Yeah. So I've always been intuitive. It's also, I've always known when the stuff was going to be thrown at me in school too. I always knew when to dodge it. Huh. And you, I know that a lot this year you talked about racism too in your podcast. And I don't necessarily want, I want to focus, what I'd like to just share with you, is just my experiences with like, not only just through high school, But I was beat up by skinheads in high school going to a party of some friends that invited us. Mm -hmm. And I was beat up with a baseball bat by these skinheads. And so I really, really know what it's like to experience discrimination at a very violent level. It's a miracle I have all my teeth. It's a miracle I'm alive today. It's one of our classmates. I won't say who it is. But they were just inviting their friends and they just didn't realize one of their friends was dating some skinheads. And that skinheads and 80 goth kids don't really go together you know so i really have a lot of passion when we talk about when we hear about in the media about racism and and violence towards it i hope things change and i hope that we it gets better
0: so they just started picking on you and then it it escalated or do you mind if Uh, well my okay so i was that party was i never made
1: it inside the house the part we parked it a lot above the house And my friend from school, we were dressed in some very flamboyant, bright colored outfits. And we started walking down like the driveway to get to the house. And then the skinheads were in the house and they saw us coming down the driveway. So they ran to their car to get a baseball bat and then started running towards us. So we noticed that and started to run back up the driveway up to the parking lot to try to get out. And I stopped to take a beating so my friend could get in the car. And, um, oh. then he went down to go, he, the skinhead left to go get his more friends at the party to beat us up more, but I was able to get up and get in the car and then we were able to leave. Wow! So that's trauma. Yeah. And that's just like your friend, your, you know, her talking about when you don't deal with trauma, it can lead to drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so I really ex- experienced that kind of discrimination, trauma that can really affect you messed me up for a long, long time. I was very, very fearful of going places and doing things and who was going to be there or when I got there or what I wore. I started to, you know, wear a trench coat and then change. Started to be more careful of what I did after that.
0: Yeah. And so you did you think about calling the cops on that? Skinhead? I my
1: sister came and picked me up in Escondido. I, my friend went and did something else. No, I don't. I just we were debating on if I was going to go to the hospital or not, and my sister just kind of wounded me back together and watched to see if I had a. She knew we had a concussion. No, I didn't think about calling the police at that time. I I don't think we did that back then as much as we do now.
0: Well, that that's part of it, but I think also part of it is. That there's shame involved. Like, think of all the rape victims that right. don't go to the cops. You know, I, I
1: don't. I just don't know why. I, I was just young. I don't know why I didn't call the cops. Maybe not to get my yeah. friend in trouble that had the party because her parents were out of town it was probably yeah. more probably on that line. You know, that like, because you're a kid. You know. So,
0: how did you have the presence of mind to say, "I'm going to hang back and and take one for my friend"? and let that person get away. Like I, I can't imagine that was really consciously going through your head, but was it? Yeah.
1: Really? So we could get in the car and get the key going and oh. start the car and get out of right. there. Okay. Cause we do things for friends, but I'm not a fighter. So I mean, I have no fighting skills. You know, I don't. I did not have the dad that taught me how to fight in the backyard or yeah, I definitely one of those people that was protected my whole life by other people. When people wanted to beat me up at a party, somebody else fought for me. So I, I never picked up life skills of fighting. Thank God, I guess. I don't know. But uh, no, I didn't think about it.
0: What a trip. Yeah. I mean, your whole life is just basically one big, long, weird trip, huh? <laughs> it's one long, giant, acid trip. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and you know what? It took all of that, though. Because the one thing, it takes all of that to make who you are today. Mm -hmm. And I'm an amazing uncle. I am the best uncle ever. I mean, I'm so proud to be an uncle. My niece loves me. She loves music. She loves creative stuff. Only thing I've given 100%. And she's been a guiding light of part of my life to dust myself off and clean myself up so I can do well. Like I said, I'm like a five-year, four-year planner. I hope. you know, Hopefully it's one day at a time and I, I do better. But This is your sister's daughter. My sister's daughter that she, that she had later in life. And my sister and I are really close too, by the way. You know, she just hates when I'm not doing what I should be doing. You know, yeah. she's the queen of not enabling me.
0: Oh, well, that's good. So yeah. how did it affect Charlotte earlier this year when you had suicide? She came to the place and she was just really upset.
1: Friend, I mean, I was a good friend. I, I mean, I didn't realize how selfish the act was. Until I saw in the eyes of a child, you know, how devastated yeah. she would have been with her uncle on, you know, without, you know, she calls me her best friend. She comes in and sees me every morning,
0: you know, and who's going to do my hair now? She. Oh, my God. If you could have done my hair before school every day, I would have been so happy. <laughs> what teenage girl doesn't want a hair salon in their house?
1: <laughs>
0: so... uh She was
1: really upset at me, but she's forgiving me right away. She's a forgiver. She's just don't do it again. You know, and I'm so glad it didn't work out. And I, I just, it was a bad thing I did. I wanted to share this in case no one else has talked about suicide or suicide prevention on your podcast. I wish I was a little bit more spiritually guru and answered your questions in a more metaphoric way, but I don't, I just, It happens sometimes. You just get it. You get that. You fixate on that, that that's the answer. And it's not the answer. There's other, you know, it's not true. It's lies.
0: So then sort of flash forward from the beginning of the year to this summer when Mr. Fackers podcast came out and you said you played it for her. What did she think of that? Oh, she was just amazed that
1: I don't think she. Re- I, I don't necessarily think that she grasped the forty years of his career, the millions of kids that went through his class. I don't think, because she's young, and she she grasped that, but she grasped it's pretty cool that somebody was talking about her uncle, and then she kind of said, "You, you know," and I was explaining to her she has a lot of the same behaviorals that I do, I see a lot of myself in her, you do matter and you do change people's lives and people will do remember you. Even when you're just not, I wasn't
0: trying to back then to, to I was just trying to survive and be Gino, you know? I want to say one thing about Factor's story about you. You know, I right. vaguely remember I we were on the same bus for the senior trip and I right. said to myself, you know, you loved Factor, Lauren, how come you never- said, Hey, go on a ride with me. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it didn't occur to me at that time, you know, and in retrospect, I felt stupid that it didn't occur to me. And I thought, wow, that's awesome that you did that. And you made him feel included, not just like (laughs) the lone lame adult on our trip, you know? And I think that that's very, very special. Well, when you put it like
1: that, (laughs) I have the luxury of having older parents, so I was always more comfortable mm. talking to adults and older people than a lot of my friends. I had a little, yeah. yeah so makes sense. I even had different you know, conversations with teachers that a lot of our classmates probably didn't. So I also knew how to ask for help. You know, Mrs. Buzinski helped me get through high school with my homework in sewing class, you know, cause she knew I could sew. I waste my time there. She would help me study for different classes, you know, cause she knew I was struggling. To me, she's like this teacher that inspired me. I just love her, you know. And I got the luxury of sitting next to her in a in a play that was in San Diego. She sat behind me and she tapped me on the shoulder and she's like, "Are you Gene Gephardt? And I turned around and like, oh, "Mrs. Buzinski!" And uh, it was just awesome, awesome. And then later on, we walked of our cars afterwards and I just talked, I got the opportunity to tell her how much she changed my life, you know? Aww.
0: So she's the
1: one that inspired me to be creative and to, and to get into a lot of the things that I did and went out of her way to help, help me, you know, she didn't have to, but we're really lucky to be fortunate to be part of that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. And I love, like I said, I really enjoy hearing the people's struggles with they were going through while they were growing, going to school And, you know, if there's people out there today that are struggling, that their friends at school are struggling just as well as we were, and to get out of our self-absorbedness and help somebody, you know, or just say, hi, how are you?
0: Yeah. I mean, so how much we missed about each other and what we were all going through, because we're so self-absorbed. self-absorbed. But I,
1: I feel people are like that today, though, you know, with social media and stuff, I mean, just lost in their phone. I'm so glad I grew up in a world where there wasn't a phone so that we can all sit and talk when we worked on projects together. And, you know, we were just there in the moment, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, that's super important. And it comes up time and time again on here about connection, about community, about volunteering, doing things together, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable. And you can't do any of that if you're self-absorbed and just sitting there looking at your phone. Yeah, I know. I'm just so glad that I didn't have a
1: phone like that when my mom was around, when I was shopping with her as a kid. I got to spend time with her because when they're gone, they're gone. Your phone's always going to be there, you know? Yeah. What did she die of? My mom died of breast cancer. Oh. My father died of pneumonia. My mom died of breast cancer. And then it she went into remission and then it it came back into something else. It came back. But she had 18 months. She got to be a grandmother. So treatment. And she was also an experienced She was also on experimental drugs. So I like to think that my mom kind of helped other women by being willing to be an experiment. Yeah, she did. So that she could, you know, the results for her test could help other women, anyone else that's out there. I like to feel like her legacy moved on. But she, you know, she was such an amazing person. If anyone's ever had the opportunity of meeting my mother, people still this day come up and talk to me about her. I mean, people from high school, people from the president of Bank of America called when my mom passed away to call. She used to be a teller and she called my sister to tell her how much she loved my mother and that she saw on the, on the roster that she had passed away two years later and that what a wonderful person she was. And that just means a lot. I mean, the mailman came to my mom's funeral, the checker at the commissary came to my mom's funeral. My mom moved a lot of people's lives. And when you're Italian like that and zesty and full of life, go out there and be thoughtful and cheer people up and make their day. And that's kind of what I I try to do when I'm being healthy.
0: Okay. So this may sound a little weird, but I've always had an association in my head of you and Robin Williams. I know.
1: I know. What a beautiful man, though. It's such an honor. And when people tell me that, you know what I tell them? I tell them, thank what? God I didn't have his body hair.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. He was a hairy beast. I mean, You know, it's not just that you look like him, but then he played Peter Pan so beautifully in the movie Hook. Yeah. And there was just such a wonderful childlike joy to him. And then as you talk about how you just want to make other people happy and give them joy in their lives, and that's exactly what he tried to do to hide how upset and sad and troubled he was. And so it's like, the more you talk about yourself, the more I think, wow, you guys really are like, dang. Oh, yeah. I really am a light. And I I got the opportunity to meet him when I
1: worked up in LA too. And we took a picture together and I don't know where it is, but- and um, we talked about some of the same demons, you know, he was clean and sober for many, many years. Yeah. You know, he, he got, he had a big problem and he made all those amazing movies, but then he went back on the road and got back into going to a bar and there's an old saying in AA, hey, if you hang out in a barber shop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Mm-hmm. And he picked up drinking again. And then he just, I don't know if he was intoxicated at the time, but once you fall from a long sobriety relapse like that, it triggers a lot of other problems. So he had a lot of other other stuff, but he was very manning. Yeah, I can relate a lot. And he was a beautiful humanitarian.
0: Yeah. So two questions. First of all, when you met him, did he look at you and say, wow, you look like me? <laughs> he, yeah.
1: A little bit. It was okay. really brief the way we met, though. I just said, hey, people say I look like you.
0: And he goes, well, you do look like you. Let's take a yeah. picture. All okay. right. I'll see you in the show. Yeah. And then he went into the show. The second question is when you watch his movies, how does it make you feel? Like, do you see yourself? Is it weird like watching someone that looks like you, that you know is a lot like you inside as well as outside? Oh, wow. Um, and that's an interesting question. I, I mean,
1: now in a way I look at me and I realize how he killed himself. And that I'm glad that my suicide, I wasn't successful and thank God. So, in a way, yes, I do view him differently because I'm so glad that I'm still here and that my life does matter and I do make changes and and it's it's important not to listen to that little voice inside of me that tells me that. So, yes, it does, but not as in depth as you just asked me the question. Okay. It's more like I'm just grateful.
0: Yeah. Um, Before I let you go, I just want to say it's funny that you said about um, the voices in our heads being so different. You know, I think everybody struggles with the, you can't do this. You're worthless. You're not good at that piece. You know, whatever level of negativity zone, like you're in. It's funny because I don't think of myself as a, you can do it thought in my head. Like you said, I have, I have a, more of a, why can't I, what's stopping me? That's kind of where I start from, you know? And then it might, the answer may be negative. Like, well, you're not good at that. You can't do that, you know? And it gets, neg- or it can be, well, it's this logistic thing that's in your way. And so remove that and then you can. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it was
1: if I heard you say, I think I'm going to start a podcast and you did it. Yeah. So for me, that's just kind of how. Yeah. how I took it. You just did it. Yeah. You know, go out there and I hope that it really grows.
0: Well, because I want it to help more and more people. You know, I think all of you uh, people that I know are interesting, and it's not yeah. fair that only movie stars and authors and stuff get to be on podcasts. They don't have the market on interesting lives. No. But I've learned so much from every one of your podcasts. I
1: mean, I I learn stuff, and I, that's what I like to hear is I like to learn things from people. I, right. I can't, you know, I'm not a reader like you. You know, reading for me is work. You know, it's like a job. Do you listen to more audiobooks than? I listen. No, I read. I'll read, but I, I I mean, getting into podcasts.
0: Yeah, I do probably about thirty to forty percent in audiobooks, or just because it's convenient you know, but for you, it might be way more than convenient. Maybe like I can get through this and enjoy it and not make it work. So maybe your recommendation to someone out there will mean more than someone like me who has a ton. So if you could say to someone like the most important book, the best book that you love, whatever, what would it be? Less than zero.
1: I love less than zero. I love that book. I I read it all the time. I love that book see, but I read autobiographies. So my, one of my favorite autobiographies is Rock Hudson's story. I love Rock Hudson's story. And I just finished Paul Newman and I, uh-huh. I like people stories. And for that,
0: you got to like the people. I like, guess a hard one to recommend. Gino, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you making the time for us. Well,
1: thank you very much. It was really an honor
0: to have you ask me to go on your podcast. It was fun. I had a good time. Well, when I heard what Factor said about you, it was like I had to make sure that, A, you were listening, and that, B, that you got to have your, not your say, but, you know, your take on it or whatever. So, yay. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thanks. Well, thanks for listening, revelers. I really hope that you got a lot out of it. If you know of someone or if you yourself are having suicidal thoughts, please, please, please seek counseling, immediate help. I've got the phone number for the national suicide hotline on the website. Obviously you can Google that anywhere in the world for where you are. But the, the main thing to know is that there is help out there. You've got your friends, you've got your family. There's way more people that you can probably think of at any given moment. As Jean says, just scroll through your phone and look and reach out to someone. And if you don't feel that you can reach out to someone that you do know, then I really suggest signing up for BetterHelp. That's my sponsor, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P You know, they are not a suicide prevention type of a service. However, I think long-term effects of talking to someone are going to stem the idea that that is the solution. As Jean says, it is a very permanent solution to a temporary problem. So if you at all think that a counselor would be able to help you talk through some stuff, please do not hesitate to check out betterhelp.com. Of course, because you're a reveler, if you use the code REVELREVEL, you'll get 10% off your first month's counseling It really can be the lifeline that you need, and they are my sponsor for a reason. I did not plan on um, so much of this mental and emotional help being a theme here on the podcast, but since it is, since it keeps coming up, since we could all use some help, recognize that you are not alone. You have friends and resources. So thanks for listening, and talk to you soon, Revelers.